Uh, I don't know about that singing pastor comment. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I am Graham, and I am one of the pastors here at City Reach. So uh, term three, like uh, Pastor Timon mentioned, we made it halfway through the year, and what a year it has been. So for those of you who managed to get away and have a little bit of a, a holiday, I hope you've come back rested and ready to go. Uh, for us, we managed to get away as a family, and we took a little bit of a road trip. And I don't know if you, in a family, when you take a road trip, there's always this competition over who is in charge of the music. Now, we've kind of been on a little bit of a journey of this. When we first started, uh, the kids were little, and we just kind of threw them in the back. And I had complete control of the music. There was no competition. It was wonderful. And then as the kids grew into toddler years and they started speaking, uh, we had to actually think, oh, it's all about the kids. So we went through this rather interesting stage of the wiggles and veggie tales, but this time it was different. This time, everyone in the car had an opinion about what we should be listening to. And no one could agree, right? It's too loud. It's too old. I don't like that one. The words are horrible. And you listen to the last one. And eventually, like, we're going on holiday. We're going down to the beach. And there's this disunity in the car. So eventually, we decide the one who gets to decide what we listen to is the radio. And we turn on the radio, and there's silence, and then the song comes on. And slowly, one by one, we all start joining in and singing the song. And from going from complete disunity, we're suddenly one, and we're singing the song. It was beautiful. Actually, it sounded terrible. We're, we're not the Von Trapp family. But, uh, but it, was, it was this beautiful moment of unity. And the song we were singing was written by four guys. Uh, they met in high school, they friends, and they formed this band. And they invest everything they have in this band. All the money they can put together, all their hopes, all their dreams are in this band. They are going to go for it. And they do, and they, they actually get quite a bit of success. And especially towards the end of the 1980s, they, they were quite successful. But early in the 1990s, they've grown a bit disillusioned, right? There's friction in the band, uh, there's disunity, there's distrust, there's hurt that's gone on. And they really at the point of breaking up and their dreams are over. But sitting in a little studio in 1991, they write this song called One. And it comes pouring out of them. And the lyrics come pouring out of them. This is their story, right? This is their journey. And they realize that if we're going to make it as a band, we need to be one. We need to be unified. And the little band was called U2. And U2 say that they started all over again when this song was written. Uh, and they're still going today, right? They were in Adelaide last year. Uh, they're a lot older now. I remember following them as a 20-year-old, and they didn't stay as rockers. They've, they've aged. Uh, but they're still going. And you know, the church can be a lot like that. Peter wrote in one of his letters that we are a peculiar people. And if there's ever been an understatement, it's that. I mean, look at us, guys. We're all different, and yet we're one. 
Uh, there was a lovely little poem I found. Lord, I want to share this one with you. It says this, kind of sums up the church sometimes. It says, to dwell above with saints we love, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's a different story. But here we have today this prayer of Jesus for his church. And, and it's very, it's sacred. It's something special about listening in on someone's prayer, you know, to, to hear what they're saying to their maker. Now, this morning, I had a rather interesting experience. I arrived early at the church office, and Pastor Tiemann was in his office busy praying. And it was, it was beautiful. I'm coming down the corridor, and I'm hearing the words that come out of his heart. And I, I almost stopped his heart as he saw me because he wasn't expecting to me. But your pastor is there praying for you early in the morning. And there's something really special about that. But there's something even more special about listening, not just to a man talk to God, but listening to the King of Kings talking to his heavenly Father, God Almighty. Now we know Jesus had a rich prayer life, but we don't have all that's recorded. But here in John, we have this long prayer in which he pours out his soul. And he asked for things that most people would never ask for. And it's actually, it's, it's the prayer, only this prayer that Jesus could pray. Because he asks for three things. He asks that he himself may be glorified. And then last week, as we heard, he asked that his apostles may be sanctified. They may be set apart. And then... We're going to hear today that he prays that all believers everywhere may be unified, that they may be one. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, uh, every year on the Day of Atonement, you can read about this in Leviticus 16, the high priest of Israel would enter the temple and he would offer three prayers. He would offer a prayer for himself, for his fellow priests, and then for all the people of God. After that, he would go out and he would kill an animal sacrifice for the sins of the people. And it's as if Jesus is deliberately taking over the position of high priest by offering these three prayers. For praying for himself that he might be glorified. For praying for his immediate helpers, the apostles. And then praying for all God's people. But the difference is, instead of going out after this prayer to kill an animal sacrifice, Jesus himself is going to go out and he's going to offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And that's why we call it Jesus's high priestly prayer. And today we're going to look at verses 20 to 26, which was beautifully read by Mel. Uh, and there's this common word that runs through it all. And it's this word one. And as we look at a prayer posture, we're looking at the heart of Jesus. Jesus himself reveals three ones. He reveals to us one purpose, one love, and one desire. So let's look at them. Our purpose, one purpose. If you don't mind reading again with me in verses 20 and 21, it says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, 
just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus sees a time when many people will come to believe in him because of the apostles' word. We have in our hands today the message of the gospel through which you came to believe. Right? If anyone has come to faith here and they've come to put their trust in Jesus and they've chosen to follow him, it's because you have heard that message that was faithfully preached by the apostles. Now, I don't know if you noticed it, but did you see Jesus' faith here, right? He never says, oh gosh, I wonder if these 11 guys are going to do this. I wonder, I wonder if they'll pull it off. He prays, Father, I pray for those who are going to come to me through the message that they're going to pass on. You realize that these are 11 ordinary, weak men who in a very few hours after Jesus said this prayer are going to run away from him and abandon him. And Jesus says, no, no, through their preaching, many will come to believe. I don't know about you, but to me personally, that's very encouraging. Through all my weaknesses and my failures, God can still use us. Some, I don't know if it's only me or someone else, but you are allowed to say amen to that. Because it is very encouraging to me. And then Jesus goes on and he says, I pray that when they do come, they may all be one. Now, the word for one here means in agreement, in unity, in harmony. Basically, what he's saying here, Father, is I want them to be one because you and I are one. You and I know what it means to be so close and it's beautiful and I want to share that. I don't know if you've ever looked at uh, a family or a married couple or a friendship and you've admired their closeness. Uh, for me, my parents were divorced when I was very young and I never really saw mom and dad kind of interacting and communing in a way that was kind of uplifting and helpful. And then in my early primary years, uh, my sister became friend with a girl in her class and I became friends with uh, the brothers and this family kind of just took us in right so I began spending uh, all my time with this family they uh, their father was a farmer and he was a lay Methodist minister and he just kind of they just took me in and I spent all my weekends at the farm I even went on holiday with them regularly but for the first time, I saw a husband loving and cherishing his wife, speaking tenderly to her, prepared to lay down his life for her. I got to see a dad who loved his kids, who spent time with his kids, who encouraged his kids, who taught them the gospel. And I looked at that and said, I, I want that in my marriage. I want that closeness in my marriage. I want to be that dad who, who encourages and, and invests in his kids. 
And that's what Jesus is saying here. He goes, Father, you and I are close. You are in me and I'm in you. And I pray that as people come, they may come into fellowship with us. Jesus and the Father have this this relationship that is close. It's pure. It's uncorrupted. There's no envy. There's no boasting. There's no self-seeking. It is beautiful. And it never, never fails. Jesus says, I want you guys to be part of that. With the Father and the Son and then with each other. And here's the purpose. Jesus is leading up to this and he says, when this happens, when you guys come into fellowship with me, the world is going to believe that you sent me. Now, it's interesting that Jesus says, believe that you sent me. Uh, The word gospel in Greek is the word uh, evangelion. And we translate that word good news. Now, I always thought uh, when we talk about the good news, we just talk about the good news of the forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. And while that is true, evangelion means so much more than that. It was a word that was used to announce the arrival of a king. That's the good news. There's a new king. There's a new kingdom. And if you want to know what the kingdom's like, you need to look at the subjects of that kingdom. He has a king who's not come to rule over you with an iron fist and with fear and rules, but a king who's come to serve you, to love you, and to save you. This is not a king who lives in a palace far removed from everyone else. No, no, this is a king who invites you into his very family, into an intimate relationship. A king who wants you to know him as father. Uh, We've just had the Alpha weekend away on Friday and Saturday. We've just been away. and It was a really beautiful time. I love talking about God and uh, everything that he's doing in our lives. And the one interesting discussion we had uh, was on the fact that when we become believers, we begin to relate to God and call him Abba, Father. It's this beautiful word which is is kind of translated like dad or daddy or papa something that it like it's so close the relationship you have but yet it's filled with respect and awe and wonder and it's close and that's the good news of the kingdom jesus is saying yeah guys i'm the i'm the promised priest but i'm also the promised king but i'm a king who wants to draw you in that you and I can have a relationship, the same relationship that I share with a son, I want to share with you, and I want you to share with others. Uh, there was this guy who lived uh, a while ago called A.W. Tozer, and he wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. And this is what he said. He said, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each looking to Christ, 
are nearer in heart to each other than they could possibly be than if they were to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Guys, we, as we draw near to Jesus, we are drawn near to each other. When we try and establish unity without God and just try and look at each other, it will fail. Jesus' purpose here is that we may be unified. And by that, he doesn't mean that we are in uniformity. He's not meaning that at all. So in uh, over the holidays, my wife and I read the same book. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to read the same book with your wife. You cannot do it at the same time. So I had to pick it up when she wasn't looking. Uh, but it was a book about a, a girl who escapes from a country in Asia that's under totalitarian rule. And how they get uniformity in this country is uh, by fear. They, everyone must do exactly the same thing. You all got to dress the same. You all got to do the same things. You all got to think the same way. And the only way they can do that is to rule with fear. And what Jesus is praying here is that we rule by a relationship. A relationship that is rooted in love. So one love. Let's look at it. I'm going to look at it again at verses 22 and 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. The very essence of love is to be giving, right? The first thing Jesus says is he's got his glory that he received from his Father, but he wants to give it to us. So we have to ask the question, what is the glory that Jesus received from his Father, but that he's giving to us? Now, there is a lot that can be said here, but essentially... What it's covering is, is the glory of sonship. It's the glory of being part of a family. It's the glory of a self-sacrificing love for you. And that love reflects the essence of who God is. This is the glory that He tasted death for you that you do not need to. It is the glory that we can know Him. He says, I've given to them in order that they may be one, living in us and for each other. Guys, here's the thing. As we draw closer to Jesus, we draw closer to each other. And the reason we do that is because we are new creation. In 2 Corinthians, it tells us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Uh, it's often been said that he didn't just come to give you a new start in life. No, he came to give you a new life to start with. 
a new family, a new togetherness. It's as if Jesus has said, I'm issuing all of you the same passport. I'm going to stamp on it that you all of the same citizenship. The citizenship is in heaven and you all belong to me and you all belong to each other. I don't know if you've ever found this, but where you meet a believer from another culture, right? Someone completely different to you, might be a different age, even a different language, but suddenly you have this connection. You kind of feel like, wow, we we know each other. There's this closeness. And it's because you are both new creations. You both know the same Lord. You both serve the same king. Uh, Years ago, this is a long time ago, when I was a young adult, um, our community group decided we were going to meet before the evening service on a Sunday and pray together. And we did this quite regularly. But uh, one Sunday, uh, I arrived and only one other person arrived. And it was me and this other guy called Reuben. Now, Reuben and I couldn't be two of the most different people you can imagine. Reuben was from an Afrikaans family. He liked Star Trek. He was an introvert and he didn't talk very much. I was from an English-speaking South African family. I like sports. I'm an extrovert and I probably talk too much. And the two of us are sitting there together. And you know when you have one of those conversations where it's just kind of one-word answers? Hey, Ruben, how are you? Fine. Um, Did you watch the game yesterday? No. I thought, okay, this is going to be long. It's going to be a long hour that we have together. But then Ruben and I, we sat down and we opened the Bible together and we prayed together. And then afterwards, we had this beautiful conversation where we realized we are brothers in Christ. And we have so much in common because we, we know the same Jesus. You know, and after that, Reuben and I became these incredibly good friends. I mean, there's nothing that would have have drawn us to each other. We were so different, but in the Lord, there we were, friends and brothers. Guys, and when this happens, right, when the church enjoys this unity, this oneness, this love for each other, the world sees that and it takes notice. Jesus himself said, guys, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. You know, we are are by nature social creatures, right? I think we, we crave social interaction. If this COVID thing has taught us anything, it's like we really like being together. And that's why solitary confinement is one of the worst punishments you can give. But people like getting together. But the difference is... The world will gather around people very similar to them, right? They will gather around people with the same interests, the same hobbies. They like the same sports. They're from the same socioeconomic group. They're from the same life stage group, but not the church. We are not a social club. Guys, look around you. We are a peculiar people, right? We're all different, and yet we are one. The church transcends any life stage, any ethnic group, any language, any interests or hobbies. 
John, when, he, when he, he's in the Revelation, he's writing and he's looking out at the church that will come in. This is what he says. He goes, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's what the church looks like. You know, the world looks at that and goes, no way. How do you guys love each other? You're all so different. And then they ask a far more important question. Why? Why do you guys do that? You see, nothing convinces the world so much that Jesus is worth taking notice of and that God is real when people see us of different backgrounds, of different temperaments, of different tribes, loving, living, and worshiping together in unity because we belong to Jesus and we are loved by the Father. Now, love, the world is, is looking for love, right? Uh, you only need to turn on the radio and every second song is about love, but it's almost always eros love, a love of attraction. And eros love is often, it's a selfish kind of love. It wants something. It wants your attention. It wants to be noticed. And it has this desire to make me happy, right? And the world will, will look for love in all sorts of places. And, and if it doesn't find love there and, and the love runs out, then it will find another thing to love or another person to love. And we can look for it in materialism, right? I love things. If, if I just had this, this thing or this new gadget or this car, then I, would, then I would feel satisfied. Or power. Oh, I, I just, I'd love to be someone that's respected, someone that has status, someone that has influence. Or maybe I, it's pleasure. Oh, I just, I just love, I've got to have that experience. I've got to have that trip. The world looks for it. And they come up empty. Because Monday always comes and it never satisfies. It just leaves you wanting more and more and feeling empty. But here the word for love is agape. It's a love that gives. It's a love that's sacrificial. It's a love that cares. It's a love that does something. This kind of love was so rare in the Greek world that it's hardly ever used until Jesus comes on the scene. This kind of love, this agape love, which doesn't make sense, it will draw people. They will see you belong to a different kingdom. You belong to a different king. One love. Guys, and here's the thing. Our unity, how we love one another, how we walk with one another, how we journey together will affect our evangelism. Right? The more we love him, the more we will love each other, and the more powerful our witness will be to the world. Uh, do any of you read Peanuts? P 
Peanuts, the cartoon, right? You've got Lucy and Snoopy and, and Linus and all that. So there's, there's, a, there's a Peanuts cartoon that I saw the other day where you got uh, a Lucy and she comes in and Linus has got the TV remote and she's threatened him, Linus, you've got to change the TV channel. And Linus turns around and he says to her, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? And Lucy looks at him and she goes, these five fingers, individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. And Linus turns around to her and goes, "Uh, which channel do you want? And then he turns away and he looks at his own fingers and he goes, man, why can't you guys get organized like that? Guys, that's us. (laughs) That's us, right? Individually, we're not very much. But when we are unified, we are a weapon that is terrible to behold. Not a weapon of mass destruction, but a weapon of mass reconciliation and of love. A weapon that doesn't destroy, but a weapon that heals. A weapon that doesn't take, but a weapon that gives. A weapon that gives life. But on the other side of that, if we are just individuals, if we are just thinking of ourselves, if we are just living for ourselves, if we make no attempt to have genuine, deep relationships, if we are easily angered, we are easily offended, we hold on to unforgiveness, then we are ineffective. And while I was preparing this, I just had this question come into my mind. What, what does the world see when they look at City Reach? Do they see a unified people who love each other, who forgive each other, who will journey together? And I think another way to answer this is to look at Jesus and look at the desire that he has for you. One desire. This is what he says. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Here, Jesus makes his desire known to his heavenly father. He says, Father, I want them to be in us completely. I want them to see my glory in its fullness. You see, now we only see in part. We only see a little bit of his glory, which is amazing as it is. But one day we're going to see him in all his glory, a glory which he wants to share with us. Last year, my mom visited Adelaide, and as we were talking about her trip, uh, I I said, I I can't wait to show you the Barossa. I can't wait to show you Linear Park. I can't wait to show you the beaches of South Australia. The, The glory of those places I want to share with you. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That's my desire, guys. I want to share it with you. I have prepared it for you. And he can't wait to share his glory with us. Guys, everything that we, we long for, every question that we have will be completely satisfied when we see his, him in all his 
glory. It'll be beautiful. So we have to ask this question, were Jesus' prayers answered? Well, Jesus was glorified through his death and resurrection. The apostles were sanctified. They were set apart. They followed Jesus with their very lives until they were martyred. But are we unified? I believe that through the ages, this prayer has been answered and it is being answered today. Because wherever you find a people that have come through the first part of that prayer, they will enjoy the unity at its end. Wherever you find people who want to allow Jesus' glory and his life to shine out of their lives, wherever you find a people who are prepared to be set apart, where they pursue Jesus, his kingdom and his righteousness, there you will find that God just creates this beautiful unity of spirit amongst his people. So Jesus finishes where he began, right? He says, the world does not know you, but these know you. Guys, and and that's the difference. You either know God personally or you don't. It's not whether you believe in God and those who don't. James tells us even the demons believe and they tremble, but they don't know God. It's whether you know Jesus. Because the world lacks love, it lacks genuine joy, and it lacks glory because they don't know God. But Jesus says, he, he prays this prayer that you may see his glory And when you see his glory, your joy will be complete, completely satisfied. As a church, we're kind of like my family, right? Going along in that car. We're in that car together. We're traveling along. We're on mission. We're going somewhere. We have a purpose. But along the way, we can irritate each other. We can hurt one another. We can hold unforgiveness. And that happens when we take our eyes off the one who unites us, the one who brings us together, we need to be reminded the thing that binds us together is the song of Jesus. The redemption story of the good news of a sacrificial king who came for you, who calls you to be his child. The fact that we all know him, that is the thing that makes us one. I want you to do something this morning. I want you to take a look around you. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. These are the people that you are called to journey with. You are called to love and serve one another. You know, at, uh, at City Reach, like Pastor Timon said, we, we have this very simple mission, and it's God's mission, right? We want to plant churches that make disciples who live out their new identity through community on mission. And that community is a community that is unified around Jesus. It is a community that loves Him that will love one another, and then we will seek 
to make him known. Now I want you to take a look at that cross. That cross reminds you of your Savior, of your Redeemer, of the God of the universe who would be prepared to offer himself for you, who would taste death for you. That Savior takes your sin and he gives you his righteousness. And above all, he then says, I call you my child. Guys, we are on mission. We're a church that's called to to live out our lives. We're called to shine in this generation. And we will do that because of how we live and how we love. And as we do that, more and more people will be added and drawn to Him. I'd love you to stand. and We're going to worship this King of Kings. I'd love to pray with you. Father, we thank you again for this beautiful prayer that your son prayed. And Lord, that he was thinking of us hours before he himself would be crucified. And how he longs to share his glory with us. How he longs to draw us into a relationship with him and Father. And Lord, that we can be church that loves one another because we have known you. Lord, I pray, help us this week to to truly love one another, to lay down our lives for each other because we love you.